Thank you. How's everybody doing today? Good? Hey, today we have a very special series we're starting called The Elephant in the... And we're going to talk about the elephant in the room today. And how convenient is it that we talk about the elephant in the room, and uh, which is politics, which, you know, that's something we don't talk about. You know, when you're in a room full of people, it's kind of like the unwritten thing. And how convenient is it that we start the series and President Trump visits Muskegon yesterday. Like, that's kind of cool um, that, that that all happened this weekend. And I, I feel like, you know, well, there's so much I wanted to say, but it was cool. Like, we, like that's right by my house, like, where the airport is. So me, my, my in-laws are in town visiting this weekend because it's Jonathan's birthday, Nicole's birthday, and Tyler's birthday all in the same week. Like, all my family's birthdays this weekend. So my, my in-laws are visiting. So we rode our bikes down to the airport, which is like two minutes away, and we got to see Air Force One take off. So that was kind of cool. Um, but it was packed, like everywhere in Norton Shores yesterday, as you guys seen. Um, so we're going to be talking politics, and I promise you, you uh, number one, a couple promises are, I won't tell you guys who to vote for. Okay? Like, that's not what I do. That's not what I'm here for. And that's not what the church sh should do, is like endorse any, anybody, you know, right? And like tell you who to vote for. Um, I'm not even going to discuss, like, particular candidates and what they stand for, per se, in this. But rather, how Christians are supposed to respond when our faith and politics collide. Like, when our faith and our politics, you know, come together. And how we're supposed to respond. Nobody likes talking about politics. All right? You know what they say? Like, the two things you never talk about at a party is politics and religion. You know, have you guys ever heard that expression? And... The reason people don't want to talk about politics are when you, when you talk about politics and you share your opinion, like your politics are a worldview. And when you say what political party that you're a part of or that you lean towards, what happens is, is you get put in a box. You get put in a box and everything in the box you get put in there with which, what that candidate or what that party stands for. And some of you might not want to be in the box with everything there. And so... You don't want to be painted with a broad brush when you start talking about politics. So people just stop talking about it. And it also causes fights and arguments and all that, all that bad stuff that we don't like to do. So we kind of avoid it. And then sometimes we're in a situation where it is the elephant in the room where you're like, uh, I thought about saying something, but I decided not to. <laughs> and I just kept quiet a little bit. You know, I thought about the elephant in the room is like, you know, we don't want to talk about politics. And you know, a funny thing is, is like people like, this is just, like, the comedy part of me. Like, people that are Trump supporters, like, yesterday, I feel like they all, like, came out of the closet yesterday. <laughs> and that, not good, bad, or otherwise, but it's like, I was walking around, and I'm like, because we went down, like I said, to, like, where the old homestead is. That's kind of, like, where my house is in those neighborhoods back there. And we're, like, walking down the street, and literally there's cars everywhere, like, like kind of stopped, because they, they could, wanted to see if they could see the Air Force One take off. And it's, you know, kind of cool. But I'm like... Everybody, like on social media, like all the, everybody, who, like, it's like they came out of the closet. And I'm like, what are they hiding it for? And again, it's the elephant in the room. And it's like they don't want to be labeled in a certain way. But today, for this next 30 minutes, I'm going to ask all of us to set aside our political views for 30 minutes, right? Because I know that there's some of you that are, like, J-Road is very diverse when it comes to political leanings. Really, very much so. There's very much people at J-Road and even in this room that are very much left. 
and there's people that are very much right, and then there's a ton of people that are kind of in the middle. And there's some people who's just like, I don't know or I don't care. <laughs> and so it's wrong of us to say that, that all of us fit one box or another because we don't, especially at J-Road. Now, I actually think that's a strength of ours, not a weakness. So what I'm asking for during this series is we put aside all our political views for a minute and just be citizens of heaven. Like the Bible says that we are citizens of heaven first. And so during this time, we put all this aside we become citizens of heaven like we're supposed to be first and realize that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? And that is where we keep our focus through all of this. So let's center ourselves and pray. God, we come before you and just center ourselves before your throne and realize that you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for a reason. Because any, any person, any government institution, anything, God, um, that's around us or that's over us, God, we submit to you first, and we come to you first, and you're the ultimate source of hope. So, God, we just lay this time before you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to start in the beginning of politics, in the very, very beginning with this. And so you may be thinking, like, where's politics in the Bible? Like, there's actually a lot of different places that politics are talked about in the Bible. But as you guys know, What's the very first words in the Bible? In the beginning, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all that good stuff. He created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. And Adam and Eve coexisted in the garden, and God was their king. God was their king. They, they submitted to him. And he really said they could have the free reign over the garden to do pretty much whatever they wanted. But they couldn't do one thing. And the one thing that God said, like the only law God made was, you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. They kind of have one thing I don't want you to do. And let me be your king. You can pretty much do everything you want. And then, as you guys know the rest of the story, Adam and Eve did the one thing they weren't supposed to do, and they ate from the tree. In a sense, they settled for less. When you really think about this, they settled for less. God said, you have me. You have all these trees. You have all these—I just don't want you to do this. And they settled for less and did it anyway. And when they sinned, it brought a curse on the whole earth. That's where we get death from. That's where work is painful. And apparently, you know, any women who have kids in here know that childbirth is painful, and that became from the curse. That was one of them. And all these death and destruction happened. Disease, death, destruction, sickness, all came from this. And with it, man became separated from God. And that's why— God brought Jesus into the world to be a sinless human, to, to die on the cross for our sins so we could go to heaven. And he had a redemption plan for that. But through this, before Jesus came, God enacted the law. And so you guys know, anybody ever here ever see the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston? You guys ever see that, Ten Commandments? Okay. Like, that's the old school Ten Commandments. So you have Moses, who God appointed to help lead the people out of Israel— and he went up to the mountain to, give the ten, to get the Ten Commandments and give it to the people. And so he had the law, and he gave it to the people. And the people of Israel, God's people, they didn't have a king. They just had God as their king. And at the time, they had what was called judges. And so God appointed judges over Israel. It was kind of like prophets, like in the Old Testament. And the judges ruled Israel 
And what they were at that time, this is a big word for some of you or for some of us that might not be familiar with theology, is, is they were a, what's called a theocracy. A theocracy is not a democracy or a monarchy. It's a theocracy is God is in charge. And really there's not going to be another theocracy until Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom in Israel and he reigns over all the earth. And the Bible said that's going to happen one day where Jesus is going to return as king. And then we'll go back to a theocracy where God is our only king and Jesus sits on the throne. But then they had God as their king and that was good for them. But the people, after they got into the promised land, they had judges over them. Like you guys know the story of the judges. One of the last judges, his name was Samuel, and he oversaw the people of Israel. The people of Israel started to look around to all the other nations, and what did they have that they wanted? What's that? They had a king. They, like, they looked at the Amalekites and all these other ites around them, and they saw that they had a king over them. And they said, we want a king too. Like, we want a king over us. And so what they were saying is, is they wanted to replace God as their king and replace him with a human king. In a sense, again, settling for, settling for, yeah, they want to settle for less. And so they said, God, we know that you are a king and you have these judges over us that you appoint, but we don't want, we want a king king. Like, we want to be like everybody else. Like, we want a king. And so they asked Samuel for a king. And I'm going to read this. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. So there's two parts to this story. Um, I'm going to get through the first part here. And they said something really mean to Samuel. Samuel at the time was their judge. And the judges, they spoke to God, and they came back to the people. They were like the intermediary between God and the people. So look what they said to Samuel. They said to Samuel, you are old. <laughs> like, that's not very nice to say. They said, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. That you're old, your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, they're doing the same to you. But they're really rejecting me, is what he's saying. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story, but when the people came out of Israel, like all the God's people, all throughout the Bible, have this pattern of following God, being in love with God, and obeying God, and then they get comfortable because they prosper, and then they start to sin, and then God um, punishes them, and then they come back to God. And there's this constant cycle of idolatry going on with God's people. And so the people here, they reject God again, and God reassures Samuel. He said, they're really not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And it's kind of sad, you know, like to hear God say that. And it, it probably broke the people's heart, definitely broke Samuel's heart. But the people had God as their king, and they decided to settle for less, and they wanted a human king. The people are looking around the other nations, and they, they're looking around at all the sinful nations, all the godless nations, and they're saying, we want to be like them. Like, they have it together. They have a king, and it's actually pretty cool. Like, he has this big gold throne. Like, I don't know, like a big old throne he sits on and a big old hat, and he's really cool, and he's powerful. Like, we want that. Like, 
and they became jealous. And what they're doing is admiring um, the godless world. Like, we want a ruler like that. We want somebody to lead us. We want a different leader. And so God said they're rejecting me. And what they were doing is they want to— God said they want to replace me with an idol. He said the people have done this before. My people have replaced me with an idol. Are you guys familiar with an idol? Like, I'm not talking about Kelly Clarkson, an American idol. I'm talking about, like, an idol idol. An idol is anything that we put above God. Anything that we replace God with in our lives is an idol. And so in a sense, he's talking about, he's like, they've had idols before, and they want an idol again in the, in the shape of a king, and they want, a, they want him. An idol is a cheap imitation of God. And believe it or not, each one of us lean into idols at times. Each one of us have idols in our lives that pop up. Idols are cheap imitations of God. You see that they had a golden calf at one time, right? Like the golden calf. Um, and then they had Asherah poles, and they had little figurines that they worshipped. It was anything that they took the place of God. And um, so in this story today, we see two facts that we see from history of God's people, and stuff that we could learn from too. And the first one is this. The people rejected God with a cheap imitation. The people replaced God, I'm sorry, the people replaced God with a cheap imitation. Guys, whether we believe it or not, we do this all the time. We do it all the time. God wants to meet all of our needs. And oftentimes, we go to other things first to meet our needs, um, to meet our health needs, to meet our physical needs, to meet our emotional needs. We go to other things first, we go to other people first, and we oftentimes settle for cheap imitations. The, we, and really, if you have an idol in your life, you are settling for less. You're settling for less than God's best. The people rejected God mean they put a king above God. And as I said, we have a way of replacing God in our lives. So we all have a few idols in our lives. It's acceptance. We have security, um, love, significance. These can all be found in God. These all can be found in God. But when we get in trouble is, is when we go to the world to replace with only what God can do. And I use this good example because it's an example that a lot of us can identify with. But in a Christian marriage, like we have a husband and wife, and God is over the husband and wife. Now, what I tell people, like, who are getting married is, like, we want to make sure that God is number one in our lives, and then our spouses is second. I know so some people, like, to the world, that's like, whoa, you're saying you put God above your wife? For me personally, yes, I do. And my wife puts God above me. Because if I'm not careful, I will make my wife an idol. I'll need her love. I'll need her affection to feel significant in this world. And God said, you don't need her. You already have me. She's a great helpmate. You guys are there together. Like, I, she's a great—she's a number two in my life to God only, so that's pretty good. But I don't want to be God to Nicole, right? I would be a very crummy God to Nicole. <laughs> I'm going to let her down. I'm going to sin. I'm not going to be there for her. I can't meet I can't fill that hole in her life that only God is meant to fill, right? Your jobs. Your jobs can never fill that hole of significance that we find in Christ. You might think it does, and people at work think you're awesome, and you're the greatest person around, and nobody's ever did what you've done, but that hole of significance in your life can only be filled by God, and if we fill it with anything else, even winning the Super Bowl, as we've seen, it doesn't fill that need, and we're left empty. 
And so we have idols in our lives. So I say all this to say that politics is one of those areas that we can make an idol in our lives. Whether you are more right, more left, either way, it doesn't matter. People can make politics their idol, okay? Now, short test. This was going to be sort of like a Jeff Foxworthy test. Like, if you do this, you might make politics an idol in your life. <laughs> you know, like, if you do this, you might be a redneck, okay? So I, <laughs> you like that? You like, like the Jeff Foxworthy? Yeah, me too. Okay. Um, Brian doesn't know no Jeff Foxworthy. He's from, like, the city. They don't like Jeff Foxworthy. Us Michiganders and Mus Muskegonites love Jeff Foxworthy, all right? He's, an, he's kind of an idol around here. All right. So a question. And these are real. These aren't just meant to be funny. Do you what do you consume more of? Political news or the Bible? Now you might be saying, that's ridiculous. I get like 10 hours of political news a day. <laughs> that's a dumb question. Like, like, honestly, what do we feed ourselves more with? Like, like sermons, Christian podcasts, the Bible, or political news? That could kind of lean in towards your bent. What do you talk about more when you're talking at work or you're talking with your family? What do you talk about more? Your faith in Jesus Christ or politics? Like, do you see what I'm saying a little bit? To some of us, that might be crazy because you're like, I talk about politics every day. And it's like, if you're talking about politics more than your faith in Christ, that could show that there might be an idol creeping in your life. If you talk about if you read, consume more political content than the Bible, that shows it. And this one's kind of a heart question. What do you think is going to bring about real change in the world? The church or the White House? Like, in your mind, what do you think is going to bring about the most change? The church or the White House? Because God's instrument to change the world can never come from politics. Like, we have to understand that. Like, because we listen to politics, like— I don't know about you. I hope this doesn't label me and put me in a box, but I watched some of the—I watched most of the rally yesterday. I wasn't there in person, but I was online because I thought it was cool. There's only been four presidents to ever visit Muskegon. I thought that was kind of cool. What was it? Like Truman, Kennedy, George Bush, and Trump. You know, so I'm like, I watched it. I just wanted to see. Like, I don't watch rallies, but I, I watched it, and so I thought it was interesting. But when you hear this, the things that politics are offering— are very much God things that God can offer. Change, hope, like real change, like real hope. Like that, and we think that, that this can come from politics, but it could only come from God. But if we're not careful, we can, it can become an idol of ours. So what happens is we as God's people look around to the world rather than God. And what we do is many times we turn to the world for answers that only God can provide. We look to the sinful world for answers and hope for, like, to questions that only God can answer. Like, like it, we do this all the time. And God's like, that's not a world answer. This is a God answer. This isn't a world problem. This is like a God-sized problem. And so stop looking to the outside world to answer these questions. And what happens is when we do that, we settle for less than God's best. And, you know, I, again, I think we do this with politics. If you look at campaign slogans, okay, I, I did some research for this. If you look at campaign slogans, 
you can kind of see that they want the people, like, in a way, like, to, to make them their idol. It's just the way it is. Because the campaign, the campaign slogans are very much like church slogans, right? I mean, what was Barack Obama's um, presidential campaign slogan when he first ran? There's one word. Hope. Right, right? Hope. And that's kind of like what his sign said in hope. And like, what, what are they saying hope for? Like, what is, what, what are they saying? They're, they're saying hope for a better tomorrow. Like, hope for you'll be rich. You'll be safe. You'll be healthy. You know that rich, safe, and healthy is like economy, foreign policy, and health care. Like, like, like those are things that God provides. Rich, safety, like wealth, prosperity, he- like health, and um, safety and security. Those things that we go to for Jesus. Prov- like he's our provider, right? And so they say come to hope. And in the Bible in Psalm 130, it says hope is only in the Lord. Hope only in the Lord. We sing these songs. We sing these songs like my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and... All right. That's our last song, right? I know. I put it in there. That's our last song. So you guys know it, so y'all better sing it out, right? Like, like y'all know it. Um, so, again, what it, Trump's campaign, President Trump's campaign slogan in 2016. Do you guys remember his campaign slogan? Make America great again. You know, make America great again. If what he's saying is, is if you vote for me, we will make America great. And he's talking about military, which is safety and security. He's talking about the economy, like, like wealth and prosperity. He's talking about um, health care, which is like our health and, you know, all those, these things. So you'll be safe, secure, rich in all these ways. And really, it's okay that that can be somebody's slogan. It's okay that hope is their slogan. But we have to know more than all that to make America great again, that'll never come from a politician. That'll only become the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, we have to really understand that. Like, like to make America great again, it's only going to become from revival. It's only going to become from the Holy Spirit being unleashed and the God's people stepping up to be God's people. And so we can't pass the buck on to another politician. And so those are some campaign slogans. So people put their hope in that. This is it. This is our ticket. This is what's going to solve America's problems. Really? Like, that's what we think. Like, this is going to make us better. Um, my paycheck's going to be bigger. Less taxes. I'm going to be healthier because the healthcare system's going to be fixed. Like, we really start to replace God with all these things that politics are offering to us, that politicians are offering to us. And God's saying, no, that's not the right way. I tried to look up Biden's campaign slogan, and it's really just, we want to beat Trump. <laughs> like, it's like, I went to his website, and it said, together we beat, you know, together we could, like, beat Trump, if you want to donate. And so it's kind of like, like, that's what his for. And so, like, that's, a lot of people are going in that direction because they don't like President Trump. I mean, that's the elephant in the room, right? And so, we, all these people have hope all these people have things that they're offering. All these things have things that they want you to come to them for. But if we ever put hope in man rather than God, and the candidate we voted for loses, we actually lose all hope. Many of you guys know that in your lifetime. Like whether you voted for Obama or not, when he won, if you didn't vote for him, when he didn't, when he won, you felt defeated and crushed, right? 
And let's say in the last election you voted for, you know, Hillary and Trump won, and you just feel like crushed. Like you just, your soul felt crushed. That could show that that could be our idol. And number one, if you felt so elated and euphoric that your candidate won, that you were like on a high for like two weeks, that could show that he might be your idol as well. And so we can kind of see these things. The candidates are never our tickets. I talk to many of you guys often, and I know, I, I know. I talk to many of you guys often, and you guys are sick with grief. You know, like, oh my gosh, like, what if, what if Biden wins? Like, my life is going to be ruined. What if Trump wins? My life is going to be ruined. And like, we, we come to this, and, it, and for some of us, it actually keeps us up at night with worry, fear, sickness, and it causes arguments. Listen, we know that there's problems with both candidates. Like, we have to admit that. But if you think one candidate is going to destroy America or it's going to save America, then you've made pol politics your idol. Not one, like, to destroy or to save America is never in the hands of a government. It's only in the hands of God, right? Like, the saving America or the destroying America is in the hands of God. Only God can do that. It's a God thing. And no matter who is president, Jesus is king. Amen? And his throne is unmovable. And I'm not saying through all of this, and when I talk about this week and when I talk about next week, my message is never, like, don't vote. Okay? Like, the message isn't don't vote. You should go vote. I'm saying that if Jesus is up here and politics are down here, no matter what happens down here, you'll be okay because Jesus is still your king up here. Right? Like, no matter what happens in this little area down here, if Jesus is your king and politics isn't your idol, you're going to be all set. You're going to be okay. You're not going to be broken. What happens? And so that is kind of the goal of all this, is let's, let's put our hope in God first. Let's not make politics our idols. And really, it's don't settle for less. When you put your hope in a candidate, and really, I don't care. I know we have awesome people who I love who are voting for Trump. We have awesome people who I love who are voting for Biden in this church, in this room, in both services. I love you guys, and I'm not demonizing the other side, and I don't think you guys should demonize the other side either. But what I'm saying is, is don't settle for less. Don't make whoever you're voting for bigger than God in your life. When we settle for less and trust in idols, it'll always leave you empty. Any of you know that if you've had an idol in your life, it's robbed you of your joy, it's robbed you of your hope, and it's left you empty. And we see this every time. And if this stuff becomes our idol, it'll always leave us empty. So I want to look at the rest, the part of the story in verse 9. God goes on to the people that he was talking to in Samuel, and he says, the people want a king, they want to reject me. That's okay. Just warn the people what they're asking for, okay? And so God gives this epic warning, and it's kind of long, but I'll read it. But God gives this epic warning that's a really famous passage. And he's saying, if you replace me with a king, this is what you have to look forward to, okay? So in verse 9, God says, Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. Verse 11, he said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons, he will make them serve 
with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots, which is a very dangerous job if you guys didn't know. Verse 12, some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his grounds and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and his attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out to relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king to be over us. Then, then we'll be like all the other nations and with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. And then, as you guys know the rest of the story, he chose Saul to be their king. And all that God said would happen ended up happening. The people said this, and it's kind of interesting. They wanted the king to fulfill a role that only God can do. He said, I want to be like the other nations. I want the king to go before us and fight our battles. That's a God's thing to do. And they've seen this. They've seen the walls of Jericho fall down. They've seen the parting of the Jordan River, and they've seen the parting of the Red Sea, and they saw all that, and the people forgot about the goodness of God. And it's a kind of a testimony of what we as God's people often do. So when we settle for less, it's, it's not like the consequences we read from that is not always a punishment. Rather, it's God just giving us what we wanted. Like when God was saying all these things, it wasn't their punishment. It was the fulfillment of the warning he gave them. You guys ever know people in, in your life that's like, why is God punishing me? And you're like, God isn't punishing you. You just made a really lot of bad choices in your life. <laughs> and you're reaping the consequences. This is why God says don't do this. This is why God says don't go this way. And you went that way. It's, you're not being punished. You're just reaping what you sowed. And so you might be saying at this point, so Jim, like, do you think politics are pointless? And I, again, no. I think you should vote. Um, you might be saying, you know, I agree with all of this. Uh, you might be saying there are some deeply personal things that both candidates stand for, and I just can't stand by. Like, I have to vote, and I agree with that. Like, there is some things for people on both sides of the aisle that mean a lot to them in a lot of ways. And I'm not glossing over that. So I agree all of us should vote. How do we as Christians vote? Like, how do we as Christians choose? Well, number one through all I've said is, I don't think Christians should put themselves in a box. If somebody asks you if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you should say I'm a Christian <laughs> and not put yourself in that box. And so we should realize this, first of all, before we vote, that there's flaws in both parties. There's flaws in both parties. 
And really, in a very practical sense, what I do is if I vote for like a local politician, a state senator, or anything, I look at what both candidates stand for, and I hold it against God's word. I look at what both candidates stand for, I try to find objectable, objective news, and try to figure out what really they stand for, and hold it up against God's word. Hold it up against God's word, and pray and ask God for wisdom. Maybe fast over it, and vote for the candidate who, in my opinion, aligns up the most with biblical values. Really, right? Like, find out which one stands up most to biblical values and how you see what they stand for lined up against God's word. But I want you to know this. God does not have a political party. God doesn't have a political party. We want to make sure that we never say or imply that this party is God's party, because that's not true. God isn't the God of this party. He's not the God of this party. So you may believe that one party lines up more with biblical values, but that is different than saying a certain political party is God's party. And if you say that, that could be a sign that there could be some, like, idol worshiping creeping in. See, no party is God's party. As I said before, the last ordained theocracy was Israel before Jesus, and there will not be another theocracy until Jesus returns and sets up his throne in Jerusalem as king. That'll be the next time that God's party is here on earth. So find the issues that God is speaking to you the most about. Because there's issues on both sides. And line up, figure out which ones line up biblically. Know that there's flaws in both parties. But please know, the hope for the world is the church, is God's people, not a political party. The hope for the world is God's people. And so the second point I wanted to make is this. Don't ask the world to do what God is calling his church to do. Don't ask the world to do what God is calling his church to do. So as I said, like, don't look to the world for problems that only God can solve. Don't go to the world also for problems that God is asking you to solve. God's asking you to solve some of these problems. When you look at both candidates and you see some of the issues, those are issues that we should be addressing. If, and if you have a passion about one issue or another, you have to ask yourself, what am I doing to bring about change in this world? Because we are the agents of change that God is calling. And the things we hope for in candidates are actually what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to do. Listen, God's plan A for the world is the church, and there is no plan B. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I'll build my church, and nobody else could stand against it. Meaning that the gates of hell are not as powerful as the church. The church's mission is to spread the gospel. It's to reach, equip, send, and it's to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are called to be the salt of the world. We are called to be the light of the world. And when you think the only change that you're capable of bringing about is just casting your ballot, and that's it, if it stops there, then we have issues. Then we have problems. Then we've set back and say, you know what, we want the government to do what God is calling us to do, and that's not right. And that's not right. God is calling us. He said, we are the salt of the earth. Not, not Washington, D.C., not the lawmakers, 
He said, we are the light of the world. Not Washington, D.C., not the lawmakers, and we are the agents of change, not them. And so as you look at the issues, you say, well, what about taking care of the poor and needy in America? Like, there's one party that I believe supports the poor and needy, and that is important, but the church has been given that role to take care of the poor and needy, not the government. The church has been given that role. The, the church is supposed to fill that need, and we can't settle for less. You know, one of the big hot-button issues that we always talk about when we talk about politics is abortion. You know, and I never want to sit here and demonize somebody that's had an abortion because we serve Jesus Christ, the, the forgiver of our sins, you know? Like, no sin can separate us from the love of God. So I don't want to sit here and make it seem like I'm demonizing people who have had an abortion because I know people that have. But to me, the act of abortion is, a, is evil. It's not, it's not right. It's not good. I don't know if we don't talk about this as much, but, the, but abortion of, in and of itself is evil to me. From what I see, God talks about life in the womb. He says, I knit you together in your womb. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, his mother Elizabeth, when she was pregnant and she went to go tell Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And she said, the baby's leaping in my womb for joy because of he's so close to Jesus, his cousin. I say all this. Because when I vote, I look and see what candidate I'm voting for, where they stand on abortion. I want to know that. I, I look at that, I want to know that, and that helps guide my decisions. But I'll say this. Abortion isn't a political issue. It's not. Abortion isn't a political issue. It's a sin issue. It's a lostness issue. And Jesus' plan for the lost is for the church to reach them, and we need to see that. We need to see that that's Jesus' plan. So my question is, what are you doing? If abortion is as passionate to you as it is to me, what are you doing to end abortion? What, are, are you praying about it? Are you seeking God about it? Are you donating to the Muskegon Pregnancy Services because they're on the front lines to help women that are pregnant? Are you doing anything to help young pregnant women? Are you fostering? Are you adopting? Like, God has put the church in these roles to, to meet these needs. And if we think only one candidate is there to take care of that, and we're going to abdicate our responsibility to a candidate, we've lost. God's given you a voice to pray for these things. He's given you money to help bless these ministries. He's given you a heart. So when you see a young, pregnant, single mom, perhaps, that's struggling, you help her and celebrate her that she didn't do like the, the act of, you know, the abortion. And so what are we doing as a church to end abortion? And are we just putting our hope in a politician to do it? And that's not right. Immigration and refugees is very important to a lot of us. And Jesus welcomed people of all, all nations. And if it's important, you know, and then you look and that guides your voting, I, I say that's fine and we need to look at these things and prioritize what's important to us. But what are we doing to welcome refugees and immigrants? If it's important to you, what are we doing? There's services around here that are designed for welcoming refugees. We help with them at every 12th. I know the kids' ministry set up a—some of you guys did this. You guys went over there and helped set up a swing set for Bethany when they were bringing in um, refugees that were left at the border down south, and they were coming up to Muskegon. And like, like, hey, it's good to vote on these things, but man, you guys are on the front lines to do something about it. 
And I don't want us as a church to abdicate what God has called us to do. When, when, I, when I say that, I mean pass the buck to, to somebody else, especially a godless world. When we are the church of the hope of the world, amen? Amen. It's time as a church we see ourselves on the front line in politics first. That, that we are the front line, I should say the church is the front line, and politics is a distant second for what's going to bring about real change. Yes, vote. Yes, it's good. But we are in charge of this. We are, God's calling you guys to be in charge of this. He's calling us to take care of the poor and needy. He's calling for us to take care of people on all different levels. And so it's time to take up arms in prayer. It's time to see our role. And it's really time to repent and turn to God if we've caused this to be an idol in our lives. And this is really what this message is all about. The worship team could actually come forward and take their place and get ready to sing this last song. But it's time for us to go before God and just come back to God and say, God, if I've wandered away from you, if I put anything before you, like we read about in the story of Samuel, and I put anything above God, I'm sorry. And, and we could ask for forgiveness, and then we could make God our number one. The awesome thing about God is God is the God of forgiveness, and he's the God of second chances. And when we bring our junk before God, he forgives us and washes us as white as snow. Every time. That's why he tells us to forgive people 70 times 7, because he has that much grace. He wants his people to have that much grace. And so I want us to give us a moment and pray and just spend time with God at the end of this message, and then we'll sing. So can we just bow our heads right where we're at? And let's just take a moment. I'm going to give you guys maybe like a minute to just catch up with God. I don't know if you've been away from God for a period of time, if you've made other things your idols, if you stepped away. But let's take a minute and just be before God. Pray, pray to him in your heart and talk to him. Do that now. down before you. God, we offer ourselves to you today as a living sacrifice. What it means is we sacrifice everything before you, God. We lay it all down at the foot of the cross and ask you, God, to have your way in our lives. God, we make you number one above all else. And we, we lift you high. And God, we praise you. We put our hope in nothing less. God, forgive us if we put our hope in anything less than you. Forgive us if we've looked to, you know, our jobs. Forget if we look to other people for, 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 to be provided for. Forgive us if we looked for hope in anywhere else but you, God. God, we come before you. 
And Lord, uh, ask forgiveness if we've ever done that. And we just make you number one. God, show us your plan for our lives. Show us your will for our lives. And lead us and direct us, God, to where you want us to be. Guide us as a church, God. Show us how we can bring about change and where you want us to do that in our own lives instead of waiting for somebody else to do it. God, show us. God, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.